Hey ladies, it's your favorite dating coach here. Do these titles sound familiar at all? Uh, what to do until love finds you. Secrets of an irresistible woman. What are the three biggest mistakes women make in relationships? <laughs> hey, what's up ladies? So today I'm gonna show you guys 10 ways to make a guy weak for you. So how do you become a high value woman that men will never want to leave? Coming up, a year and a half ago, she said she was fat, broke, and miserable. Now she's happier than ever. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Land Your Man podcast. This is Carla Nell. It has been a couple of months since we recorded an episode. I'm here today with a dear friend and a very special guest. I'm a dear. You are a dear friend. Samantha. I'm fond. Oh. Oh. Like a deer. Samantha Ginn. Hi, friends. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> I think that's about how we all are right now. So we're in the middle of the pandemic. And I say middle because I I don't really know where we're at in the pandemic. What day is this? Where, where am I? I actually looked at the calendar. So it technically started, every all this shit started on March the 19th was the first like stay at home order. And today is May the 30th. So we're a little over two and a half months mm, now. We're almost at a trimester. Yes. <laughs> Birth in something weird. That's for sure. Tell us a little bit about you and then we'll talk about the pandemic later. Cause we have plenty of time to talk about that. Cause we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what do you want to know about me? I'm five, eight. I'm a Pisces. Yeah. Um, you're blonde. I'm blonde. Yeah, you're buxom blonde. I'm Irish. <laughs> so I keep getting like sun. Yeah. During this pandemic. That's what, something I that's, am very grateful for. I've been taking a lot of walks. Yeah. But I'll get a tan at like four o'clock and then I'll shower and then it's gone. So I'm, <laughs> you're I'm very just, Irish. Yes. I'm an Irish wee lass. <laughs> so yeah, I am a teacher during yes. the day. I work with neurodiverse actors and I teach improv and I teach acting and then at night I'm a performer and a director and I just love being in the theater so Sam is actually a pretty renowned actress here in San Diego everybody knows who you are and loves you my mom my mom knows your mom comes to all your shows sends mass emails to uh our entire community uh she's my agent Twyla and her mass emails Come see Sam. But yeah, anyway, I'm on unemployment right now, which is I'm very thankful for. Which is most actors and teachers, it's unfortunately. Been, yeah, it's sadly. been tough, tough for the artists. Yeah, trying to stay creative and and sane. Yeah. So yeah, that's what else you wanted like, <laughs> to know? What else you wanted to know? Like, I'm so nervous. Well, I was excited to have you on. So Sam used to be my roommate. We used to live together and we would, you know, this podcast is about meeting a partner, this uh landing your okay. man. Are you my partner? Or your woman? Oh, I thought you were or... like, Sam and I live together. And this is about, you know, Sam and I partner. used to. So I used to like take a shit in the kitty, <laughs> kitty litter box. Like <laughs> when I wasn't home. I knew it. No, I say that because we used to like lament together. And during the time that you lived here, you had just like literally had just started dating the person that you're with now. 
Yeah. And you got to see my whole like anxious spiral of like, how do I do this? Yeah. Because you, you had been in a relationship and that relationship had that. ended. <laughs> that's over. That that's now that's too much, Carla. No, it's You've okay. You've gone too far. You, yeah. I was in a relationship for seven years. Yeah. And then how long from the time that relationship ended until you met your new partner? You can call him by his real name. Mark. Bo Hunk. Bo Hunk. <laughs> Oh, I um, it. Um, <laughs> I actually, so yeah, I was with my ex for seven years, who's a wonderful person, but sometimes like relationships, you know, they last and then you move on. Yeah. And I was actually, it was interesting, little side story. I was talking to my mom and she has a, a friend who, um, officiates weddings. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Officiate or officiate. Officiates. Officiant. Um, I, I'm going to write syllable on the. Okay. Yes. Great. I'm fossil syllable. Syllable. Officiate. So. I'll have to edit all of this out. Go on. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Carla. <laughs> so, anyway, the person that officiates the wedding, when he is. This is my mom's friend's father. When he is. At the wedding, uh -huh. he tells the couples, not until death do you part, but until this union is meant to be. Wow. Or, and, and like, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because sometimes you're not supposed to be married to someone forever or mm -hmm. be with somebody forever. Yeah. And it's just supposed to, until it rides out. Right. And I, I love that. That's, I love that. Yeah. No, I think so many people force themselves to stay in relationships because of an obligation that they feel and don't even have the conversation about, Hey, we're both miserable. Why yeah. are we, we don't, we don't have to be, you know, we can walk away and still salvage what's left of what we care about each other and oh, move yeah. on, you know? Yeah. I just think that it's like, it's such not a, easy. It's not easy. And it's also ingrained in us through generations and it's a cultural issue that we have of, you know, yeah. like, that sometimes you're just not supposed to be. But anyway, back to my seven-year relationship. <laughs> it had run its course. Yeah. And I realized I needed to leave the relationship. So, and that's not easy, especially when you care and love about, love, love about. Not loving all about town. <laughs> especially when you're loving about. It's no, hard because I breakups really feel like a death. It, you know, totally. a, a death of someone Sucks. or something uh, and, and that person is still alive, but you can't see them. And so it's like you're cutting a cord. Well, it's not their death. It's a part of you dies because oh, you yeah. can't have that anymore. And you know that if you try to hold on to it, it's just selfish when you're not oh, yeah. 100% in it anymore. So you know what I did to help heal? What? I went to Scotland and drank a lot of whiskey. I remember that trip. <laughs> so I realized some somewhere in that seven-year relationship, and this is, you know, I'm just speaking from my experiences, I lost myself somewhere in there. I I felt like my, I don't know, my energy, my light had turned into a different shade. Mm -hmm. And I one day I just woke up and a light went on and I was like, Sam, you're not happy within yourself. And... I had to go find my happy. Yeah. Because if you're, if what I've learned is like, if I'm not happy with myself autonomously in this relationship, like I have nothing to give the relationship. Right. And I can't expect somebody else to make me happy. Yeah. 
And so what I have discovered is like traveling, it makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Meeting new people, getting out of a box. Yeah, you're definitely like an explorer and you love adventure. So I I can see where travel is definitely like it for you and i love outlander jamie so i was like maybe i'll find that little wee lad oh not so wee um but i went to scotland and i was like this is something that i want to do for myself Mm -hmm. and i want to find my happy again and like that was the best thing i could have ever done for myself yeah um I traveled, I got to meet so many interesting people, have amazing conversations and realize the world is a big place that as sad as I was about a relationship ending, it's, there's so many amazing people out there. Right. And And they've all gone through, regardless of where they are in the world or what they've all gone through that loss of losing somebody that they've loved and they, you have to pick up and move on. You can't like dwell in it. Keep taking shots and go on Tinder. And I mean... (laughs) Just, you know, explore, you know, so, but anyway, I, uh, when I came back from Scotland, I felt like I was starting to try on what is it like just loving myself and not being in so wrapped up into, into like finding a partner Mm -hmm. because I Mm -hmm. feel like I've been boy crazy since birth. Like I, me too. I get that. I was this 10 pound baby full of hair. I was like, oh my God, that doctor that just like pulled me out of my mom's vagina. So <laughs> hot. Single? Oh my God. The way he cut my umbilical cord is like so hot. Oh my God. So I've just I been get that. Very crazy. That. Yeah. And and I put it and I've always put my worth into like, does this guy like me? Yep. And then it's funny because throughout my life I had a bowl cut. Um <laughs> That's why my hair is down to my ass crack right now because I'm like, I can't ever go back to bowl cut days. It's full of rejection and tears <laughs> because I, you know, I was a tomboy and I like, I was really interested in men, mm-hmm. but like, they always were like, I'd be like, Hey, Timmy, I like you. And they're like, Oh, that's so cute. We like your uh, cute friend, Danielle with the long, you know, blonde hair. I'm like, right. okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I've also, I've, my whole life I've been, you know, I've been, had many experiences of being rejected, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, like desperately wanting to be loved. Yeah. So that combination can be, can be real tough. So after Scotland, I was like, you know what, what if I put all of my energy towards myself? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's like that thing of like, is that selfish? But I was figuring and out. And many people think that it is. Mm-hmm. And I think we're figuring out now for women, which is we'll get to our book later, but this book deals with this head on. But it is an act of bravery now to put yourself first. Like in, in the world that we live in, the society we live in, to say, no, I'm going to fall in love with myself and I'm going to focus on me. It does turn people off. There are those people that are like, oh, okay. I, yeah, I don't have those people in my life. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, this is how it has to be. Because what you said earlier, if you don't love and care about yourself, you've got nothing to give anyone else. And how does, I mean, we're not taught that at a young age in schools. So when it's like this self-love, love yourself, like, you know, the YOLO, all these like, Mm-hmm. Things that are said on shirts and Instagram, like what, what the hell does that mean to love yourself? Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to like figure, you know, explore that there's like practical self-love, there's spiritual self-love, you know, um, mental, 
all of that. Yeah. And trying, you know, what does that look like? It's just too big of a concept to, you know. I always took for granted that I just did love myself. I thought, well, I do love myself. <sighs> like, duh. <laughs> and then after therapy and working with um, somebody that we both work with, the questions were, if you love yourself, why do you do this? Mm -hmm. If you love yourself, why do you think this way? And then I had to really like tear that down. Me too. Because I just assumed, well, of course I love myself. I have high self-esteem. I care about myself. Of course I do. And I do. But I've made a lot of bad decisions based on thinking I'm not good enough. Thinking people are going to think I'm selfish. Thinking people are going to think that I'm being careless with their feelings. Thinking that I'm only considering myself. And at the end of the day, so what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. You know, and, and it took me, I still struggle with it. I mean, oh, I still struggle with it. Me too. It. It's hard. But I found that I think it makes me show up better for the people who are showing up in the same way in my life. Mm. focusing on those people that are giving back. So it's great. So here I was loving myself tits up in the gutter in Edinburgh. <laughs> and I came back a new woman recharged, full of vitality, uh, you know, yeah. hope. Um, and then I, uh, my best friend, Morgan, who lives up in the Bay area was having a really hard time. Uh, Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. <laughs> yes. Who is, in herself is a, a cheetah. Yeah. Which we will. firecracker. <clears throat> we'll talk about in the book later. Spoiler alert. And I went to go live with her for a month. Not, not that's another act of courage because I was working and everyone's like, Sam, you got to work. Like work, 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 work. That's what life's about. Work hard. And I'm also like, yeah, but mama needs to play hard. Mm-hmm. And I, what I want to do is not work for one month for my mental health and go be with my best friend and live life. Yeah. And, and that was hard for me to just be like, I'm it, like, when I say like I traveled or I, I went up and lived with a friend, it was hard things to do to get there. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's like, especially with our culture, you have to give yourself like, permission. Yes. And be like, it's okay to do what you love. Yeah. And so I went up there, stayed with Morgan for a month. And while I was up there, so my relationship ended in August. And now I think this is like, oh, this is June now. Uh -huh. So I had a good, yeah, almost a year, almost a year to um, process and be with myself. And maybe a little, you know, like uh -huh. a couple of little dates, little, little hikes, little, little meetups. A little van. But, I remember know. the van. <laughs> I remember the van, man. Van down by the river. <laughs> oh, Charlie. <laughs> yep. I love uh, that story. You don't have to tell them the podcast. I was listening. My mother's listening. But um <laughs> anyway, we wore seatbelts. Uh, you know. Comfy. <laughs> F three fifty. Oh. Anyway, um so no, that's a truck. That's not a van. Anyway. Wasn't there a van though? I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, my brain is going places. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> Forget about how he smelled like a lot of vehicles involved in this. <laughs> so while I was visiting Morgan, yes. I decided to challenge myself and do online dating. Mm -hmm. Carla, have you done the online dating? Never. I've never, never done it. Except for the last four years. 
But other than that, no. See, I was a, I was terrified of online dating, especially yeah. in San Diego in your own town. I like one night when I was like drinking wine, like rosé, and I was like su- super lonely. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to like do Bumble. And I got on Bumble and right away I saw like four pictures of like people I grew up with. Uh-huh. And you're like, I'm like, nope, that guy lives down the block. And no, I can't look him in the eye. So I just like, I literally signed, I like was on it for like an uh, hour. Yeah. And I was like, I have to initiate a conversation with these bastards. No, I'm off of this. Right. Right. (laughs) With this guy that's like eight pack holding his niece. I was like, no, this is not, I can't do this. And so then, but when I was up in the Bay area, it gave me permission to like, I was like, okay, I'm not going to know these people. Just try to put yourself out there. Yeah. And I got on and I was like, I, I got on Tinder. Okay. I did the Tinge. The, just because I didn't want to initiate yeah. conversations. <laughs> I call Tinder like the pizza hut of dating apps. <laughs> but I know people that have met their partners on Tinder. I pizza ass on that. Um, <laughs> piece of my heart. But anyway, I... I um, definitely got like the deluxe super ooh, pepperoni pie. Oh, mommy. But, but this is the greatest thing about it. Carla, I don't think I've told you this. Before I went to, when I was on the plane to go visit Morgan, I wrote a list of what I want in a partner. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a um, exercise by our therapist, yes, Jerry. Yes. Jerry, we love you. Jerry. Jerry. Jerry Quantum Transformation. Transformationcoaching.com. Coach or coaching? Coach. coach. Quantumtransformationcoach.com. Check him out. If you really care about yourself. <laughs> you and you want to contact him. You want to land your man, a woman, or whatever else you're into. Yeah, or yourself. Or yourself. Oh, yeah. How to land yourself. Land yourself. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay. So Jerry was like, Sam, get really clear about what you want in a partner and manifest that shit. Manifest. <laughs> so on the plane up there, I wrote, uh, a whole thing of like, this is what I want. And I was very specific. And this is what I do not want. Mm-hmm. And just from like being in so many relationships that have ended, I was like, I got to get clear. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? That's what I want. I threw it up. Like, and then I was like, when the timing is presents itself or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when I got on Tinder right away, I was like, you've got a match. <laughs> but the matches were like, Hey, you want to go have a, a picnic naked in, in Golden Gate Park. Right. And I was like, what are these? Right. What is this? Here's my penis. Yeah, yeah. I know. I hate it. This one guy's so like, much. you got a you got a fat booty for a white Irish chick. I was like, uh, this is not what I want. Where did you go to college? <laughs> no, I know. It's if you were immediate. on a deserted island, what would you do? So <laughs> who, who <laughs> do I have dinner with? It's dead or living i know this is this is so this is what's interesting is that i deleted it i did not like it i did not it was like all encompassing it was like i felt like i was like you know you get ghosted you Mm -hmm. get like you're talking to someone then they just disappear and i was like this is like rejection in my face yeah they just unmatch you because like like the other day i got unmatched because i asked this guy he said he was a doctor and i said what kind of doctor are you and he's like poli sci and i said oh i failed poli sci in um in community college but i took it twice and i finally passed you probably didn't have that problem unmatched he deleted me i'm like wow really like that 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 deemed me un. 
You got to at least have a C plus in poli sci to. I know, right? <laughs> well, he's a doctor of poli sci. I could see where he was like this bimbo. But I was joking. I did plays, fail. But I was joking. He probably plays a doctor on Pornhub. <laughs> um, so a political porn hub doctor of science, a doctor of polyamory. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. So yes, it anyway. is a fickle. So fickle I, place. I literally was like, I this isn't for me. I'm just gonna delete it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had matched with Mark, and he was the only person that messaged me saying, "How's your day?" Mm-hmm. Like what? It, just asking me a question. Right. And I was like, "What?" This person like asked how my day was, and I texted him or messaged him back on the app, and I said, "Look, this thing is not for me. Mm-hmm. Here's my number. I'm here for two more weeks." If you want to meet up at a bar, let's, let's do it, whatever. And then I deleted the app. Mm-hmm. And then um, I kind of was like, whatever. And then I took myself on a date. That day I was like, you know what? How the fuck do I love myself? And I went to this rose garden. Mm-hmm. And I like picked off petals from the ground, came home, drew myself a bubble bath, put the petals in the bath, listened to some freaking Janelle Monet, rubbed it out. <laughs> In this bath, I was like, I do not need anyone. Yeah. And I, I had never, it was like this moment in time. I'll never forget this. I had like candles lit in the bathtub. And I literally and was you're like. playing me loving my woman self. Okay. I'm sorry. That was, took and, me back. And Morgan was at work. And I literally was like, I think this is the first time in my life I feel like I've loved myself. And then I got out of the bath and there, I got a message from that Mark. Mm-hmm. And he was like. Hey, I know I would love to like meet up at an Irish bar. And I was like, Irish bar, you're on. <laughs> and you're in like Flynn. Yeah. We met and I was so freaking nervous. And I had like, I got a, two whiskeys ready at the table. He was running late. Yeah. I know. Sure. Yeah. He's not going to show no, up. He was, he was getting his like, he I was don't know. He was waxing his, waxing his balls and probably, yeah, probably on another Tinder date. But then as soon as, I, I didn't even remember what he looked like. I was so nervous. Yeah. So vulnerable putting yourself out there like it's, that. Yeah. Like, no, it but is. But anyway, I saw him. I saw him, like, from afar. I was, like, stalking him. I was, like, in the corner, uh-huh. like, with my whiskey, like, where is he? <laughs> and when I saw him interacting with the bartender, uh-huh. he was just, like, so smiley and, like, friendly. And, like, I saw them interacting. And I was, like, oh, yeah, it's on. Uh-huh. This is on. Yeah. And then, yeah, we just had to, from there, two years later. That's so crazy. And he, he is, like, he just, he's a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. you just sense that the minute that you meet him Aww. in your underwear when he's eating pizza <laughs> in your kitchen and you didn't know he was there. <laughs> pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah, so the first weekend that Mark stayed, he came a day early. Me, roommate Carla, not knowing what doing. I come out and I'm literally like in my underwear. I'm like, oh, oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> hi, Mark. No, but he's hot. Like he's really beautiful. And, um, but also just, he's just a good dude. Aww. Really sweet guy. He's so sweet. And, and I'm, I, and the thing is, it's like, he's the greatest partner. And I also have to really work on my stuff right still to this day. Yeah. Like, cause I can self-sabotage like a mofo. I can, you know, and also your, your trauma from past relationships or whatever, they come to the surface. Like being in a relationship is, it requires work. It, it requires, in my experience, like for me, I really have to look inward and like, 
undo learnings and like patterns right. and, and, and it's, so for example, like I remember Carla, you, me and you probably, I think you've like counseled me when we were roommates, like in the beginning, I was like, what does this mean? Like, cause right away I felt this like energetic connection with him. And I was like, oh my God, I just, you know, I'm just learning how to love myself autonomously. And now like, shit, right. I like, like him. I just and got then, to that part. How do I send a text? What do I do? And then the anxiety. Do I text like, him back right now? Or do I wait till tomorrow? Is he going to text me back? Like uh, all of that. The worst. Yeah. Like panic attacks Everybody does that. Everybody does that. But I, so I remember what I re- observed is that no matter what you came at him with, no matter what he reassured you, like. it's fine like he was so reassuring and he wasn't going anywhere you know like that was the impression that I got that he was like "Uh uh-huh uh-huh okay yeah no I'm still here I'm not gonna not text you back I'm not gonna not you know like yeah it was rad to witness that because all of those fears that you had which are everybody's fears they're perfectly natural fears he just kind of went over the humps with you and reassured you, you know, I miss going over <laughs> humps. <laughs> quarantine girl, you and me, both. but yeah, we're in the, oh, yeah, yeah, we're in the long distance right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, that's a whole other thing. Like yeah. you ever done long, like long distance, Carla? No, never. Except for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, seven years is I've the... never been on a dating app and I've never done long distance except for, all the times that I have. <laughs> no, I've done do long distance that, twice. What do you think the, like, how do you think a long distance works? How do you make it work? Um, I think for us, for in my relationship, um, <clears throat> obviously contact, like being in contact and um, being available. So knowing that I'm busy, you're busy. We're in different cities. We're in different states. I'm still going to make time for you. Like Mm -hmm. even with all this distance, you're still a priority. So what we would do is every week we pretty much knew he knew my schedule. Um, And so when he knew that I had time to talk is when he was available to talk and vice versa. When I knew that he was available, then I would call him. Um, And luckily, thank God, because he was two hours ahead he, he's a night owl, so he would stay up late anyway. Because mm. um, I'm always like, oh, he's like 10, it's past 10. Anymore. But, you know, we would talk until like 1 or 2 in the morning. And um, and I didn't care if I had to get up and go to work the next day at 8. Because I, you know, we had that. And then, obviously, we had to make time to see each other mm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I never thought that for seven years I'd figure out how to carve out time to like literally go leave my life here and go be with him but I did we did it um and he would come here his family came here we were just invested in in doing it but I'll tell you what didn't work about it was that there was no end game and so for Mm -hmm. me after seven years Mm. I was like "Eh, what are we what's gonna happen because neither yeah. one of us were willing to give up our lives where we were. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave San Diego. 
um, he has MS and he didn't want to leave Wisconsin because mm. he had health benefits there that he would not have here. He had his family and support system there. Um, so in the end, it was it was about the we kind of ignored the future for a long time. But then after seven years, I was like, yeah. I, I want I want a present. And so we still have a beautiful friendship. That's great. We've we've been able to maintain a beautiful friendship and he's still a big part of my life. And I. I will always love him Aww. and anybody who's ever going to be with me will eventually know that he's still going to be part of my life. It's just, mm -hmm. there's the, you know, there's distance there. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, my advice would be that if, as long as you're comfortable with it being what it is, great. Some point, I think it comes to a head and you say, what? Yeah. What are we? And I, uh -huh. and I think that's hard for, uh, sometimes it's hard in relationships to express once because that could mean a change. Right. Because what happens if your want is different than your partner? Mm -hmm. You know, what could that mean? That could mean either a wonderful acceptance and even that want is change. Right. Oh, that means we're moving together. Or we're, we're, you know. Right. I'm going to whatever change that, my life to be with you or vice versa. Yeah. Or the flip side where they don't want that. And then what does that mean? I have to make a choice. Right. Of, you know, right. so I think it's, it's hard sometimes to, and then knowing when to address the wants or needs and God, so much. Why is it so hard? But you'll, but, but it's you, great. But you will know. Yeah. And, you will know. And the thing is too, I will say this. So I do know a couple of couples, not a lot, but I do know a few that live separately, like in separate states that are married. Oh, that's probably the happiest marriage ever. <laughs> and you're never sick of them. Well, right. And the thing <laughs> is, is like, it's not, it doesn't, it's not, you know, be all end all. Like you, you can make choices and say, well, I don't want to give up my life here, but I want to be with you. So we're just going to figure it out and make it work. So I don't, you know, that's ultimately not what I wanted out of that relationship. But I'm, it's not to say that I might meet somebody down the road who lives somewhere else and don't want to make the same compromise. But if I have the means and the wherewithal to, to go visit them frequently and see them a lot, you know, yeah. it could last till death to us part. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm open to whatever if it, but it's got to be somebody that I'm invested in and that I, that I love, you know, mm -hmm. and they have to feel the same way, obviously. So it's just, it's, but you just know that you're not ready to let that person go mm -hmm. and you're not going to mm -hmm. until you're ready or, mm -hmm. or the relationship does have to progress eventually, I think, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but you can decide what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's a good point about the fear of bringing it up of like, because even if somebody's in the same city as you, if you say, so what are, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, what <laughs> what is this? And that can all, it's the same fear of like, what do you mean? We're, we're doing this. And it's, are you ever going to move in? Are we going to get married? Are we, what are we going to do? Yeah. When are we yeah. going to do it? It's that anxiety of not knowing the future. Yeah. And I think that's what we're all experiencing right now too, is that mm -hmm. collective universal anxiety and how hard it is to, to just be comfortable with the not knowing. Yeah. Is, is difficult as human beings, I think. Something that Jerry said, Jerry Quantum Transformation. Um, something he said to me, identifying what you want is the first, that's the first step after, you know, you love yourself. I mean, that's, 
And, um, well, I want someone who wants to be with me, who chooses to be with me. And he was like, yes, that's, that's great. He's like, but you're not even choosing to be with you. Ooh, damn, Jer. Dropping the truth, <laughs> right? Bombs. Because it's like you're not Ooh, content. You're not content. Mm-hmm. So you can't go into uh, another person's life and want them to be with you if you're attached to that outcome. You- <sighs> it's hard to recognize our own shadows. Like I, yeah. it's so funny. I was I was doing some like journaling, and I was like talking about like I was just like journaling about relationships and. Um, I was talking about like, I'm sick of like emotionally like unavailable men. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was, you know, thinking about the shadow work <laughs> and the mirror work of like, Sam, are you emotionally unavailable? And if you, if you, if anyone out there, uh, I, I listen to Mark Grooves besides yeah. Jerry. Yeah. Mark Grooves is fantastic. Uh, create the love on Instagram yes. and his videos. Like I did his, uh, relationship course 101 and I think you can still do the work on yourself even when you're in a relationship I think Mm -hmm. that's important as well uh just because you landed your man doesn't (laughs) mean that you like the work is done the work does not stop and so you know I want to be the best partner I can be and I also like want to maintain this relationship and be as and show up the best way I can um but that takes a lot of work too and so I was just like journaling about like Un- unavailable men, emotionally unavailable men. And I'm like, Sam, are you emotionally unavailable at all? Because Mark Grooves, his, uh, his exercise was it's you, not them. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard to like, look at myself and be like, Whoa, I'm terrified. Right. Of like, I, it, like even expressing like, I love you so much. Like you don't even know, like, is like so vulnerable mm-hmm. of like, what if it's not received? Right. That, Possibly like this, you know, throughout my life, it's like me, the one, me, the one that has a hard time. Yeah. Which is wild exercise. Yeah. Because you're stifling yourself because you're so afraid of the outcome and it, the, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you took the risk and that you were brave mm. and that you said it and you did it, mm-hmm. but it, we're so afraid. And I, I've actually, since, since I lost my mom, I've let go of that. That feeling of like, oh, God, if I say this, then I'm going to do this is good. You know, like this Mm -hmm. is the domino effect of of me saying this. I don't care anymore. I'm very like vocal about how I feel and the chips fall where they may. But I have found that other Doritos because they're my favorite. I love Cool Ranch. I just had I just had those the other day with my niece and nephew. With the French onion dip from Trader Joe's. Oh, Oh my God. God. Yeah. Yeah. To where the chips fall. Go ahead. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's great, Carla. I, I've noticed that I'm not attached to outcomes as much because I know the outcome. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm not, I won't be here one day. And then it doesn't matter what the fuck I didn't try or did try. I know we forget that we die. Yeah. You're going to die. And when my mom, you know, like I went through that process with my mom, I was in the room I'll never forget the way it felt in the room the morning that she died. Like it literally felt like, <clears throat> cause I was asleep when it happened. And I think that's why, because I had been awake for like two weeks and then I finally fell asleep and then I woke up and I, that's the moment I felt like she took the last breath. 
Mm. And like, I felt like this release of energy of just like gone, done, I'm out. And I'll, I will never forget that feeling. And I'll Mm. never forget how much it meant to me, A, to be there for that, to be in the room. Mm. And then to know that when it's it, when it's over, it's over. There's no going back. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't go back. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm at a place now where I don't mm-hmm. care if, if you, if you piss me off, I'm going to tell you, if you make me happy, I'm going to tell you if I'm fucking attracted to you and I want to have sex with you, I'm going to tell you if I, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And like, not everybody can deal with it. Mm-hmm. People have a hard time with your truth. Mm-hmm. They really do. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I'm like, well, I don't care. You know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I think that's another reason why this book resonated with me in in some ways, because we'll we'll talk. We will talk about the book, you guys. (laughs) Tame yourselves. It's like she Mm -hmm. she got to a point where she's like, I I'm going to be me like I have to be me. And Mm -hmm. I think she's still she has a few more autobiographies in her. I think (laughs) this is her third one. She's like, what, 40 something. Mm But um, I think, you know. I don't know. For me, it's just like, I know the risks of not saying how I feel. And I've, I've lost friendships and I've lost, I think, you know, potential relationships over it because it's, it's too much for some people. They're like, well, your truth is not my truth. And that's fine. And then I have to have, I have to let go of that outcome too. But it just, it, I think when you lose something that means so much to you, you understand the value of like Mm. putting yourself out there. Yeah. It's not wow. as, it's not as scary. It's not scary mm-hmm. anymore. Mm. Good, that doesn't Carla. scare me. It's a good place to be. Yeah. You know, so I think if more people could lose, could have someone die. <laughs> they're really <laughs> close to. Um, yeah, I, um, it, it, you know, yeah. it helps. Yeah. It really does help like put things in perspective. I also heard this uh, quote the other day. It was like, what if you say something to uh, like in terms of dating? What if you say something to your partner and like they take it th- like they they take it the wrong way or whatever and they leave? Mm-hmm. Then the, the quote said something like, "Well, then he's not the one, or they're not the one." Then right, like then that's yeah, it, it is that simple. But that it sucks. That yeah. sucks because uh-huh. you invest time and energy uh-huh. and you invest emotion in a person, and that could be for a month or it could be for a year or ten years, whatever. And then you realize, like, I said this one thing and it was so fragile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really do think when you really love somebody, you, there's not much you can say that's going to like. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like, you know, it gets like abusive. If it's abusive you know? or cruelty, absolutely. Yeah. But if yeah. you're just saying your truth, if you're being yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing why I think I'm still um, good friends with my ex is because I was just honest. And he he respected my honesty and he loves me. And so he, if you really love somebody, what do you, you have, you know, you have to honor that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Brene Brown talks about it all the time, which is vulnerability, like, you know, that and, vulnerability. And then it, you yeah. know, it's like, we're so afraid to show our vulnerabilities when in fact, like what I heard, I heard something the other day is like, your vulnerability is not unique. We're all <laughs> like, right. Can relate to it. Yeah. We can, that it actually, creates the opposite effect it creates connection versus like you know totally distance but the act of doing it can be so hard I'm very protective too of like my vulnerabilities of like what if I say it to the wrong person and it's like spirals me into a different place of like it's if it's not handled well Mm -hmm. like then I retreat back to like my old bowl cut 
like child right. with that's wounded or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we've had conversations too. Like I've told you before, because you apologize a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I've told you stop. Apologize. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and that is a hard, that is so hard. So hard. Especially, especially for, for women. women. Jinx. I'm sorry. I only, Coke. <laughs> I only have Coke Zero. Is that okay? Actually, I don't drink Coke. I just do like kombucha. Oh, fuck you. Are you kidding? No, oh. I'm, I've been drinking alcohol every night of this quarantine. I've quit drinking like 37 times in the past two months. Perfect. And then um, You're like, be, I'm not going to drink again until until like two more hours. In an hour. <laughs> so I've got to have a drink. <laughs> no, I know. I've been drinking a but lot more during it's this. It's funny. When I was up visiting my best friend Morgan, we both say sorry all the time. Mm-hmm. And we started a sorry jar. So Good. anytime one of us said sorry, we we put a quarter in the um in the jar. In three weeks, we made forty five dollars. Wow! And we went uh, to a, a vineyard and got drunk off wine. <laughs> and you're like, we're sorry, and we're like, we're sorry, we're drunk. <laughs> uh, but no, it's true because also apologizing all the time takes the weight out of a real true apology. Mm-hmm. So I am. Thanks for calling me out on that. Is like. And, you know, I have some very honest friends that will tell me you apologize too much. And I appreciate it because it's it's like what that is, is like, I think it comes to a root of like people pleasing too. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the world's like freaking guilty, always trying to make sure everyone's okay. Everyone's, you know, yeah. that, that to a fault, like sometimes I just like, remember Carla today, like before this podcast, I I've had extreme guilt because I asked for a snack. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm hungry. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry that I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? I'm sorry. <laughs> like eating no, those like 10 blueberries from Costco was like really hard for me. For me but- <laughs> also, it's like a feminist thing because I don't, I haven't noticed that men apologize a lot. I don't hear a lot of men saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't hear it, but I hear women all the time. And um, I think for me, it's about what am I sorry for? What yeah. did I do? By the way, my boyfriend says sorry. And it's the sexiest thing ever. <laughs> and he didn't even even have to. like, But just like, the, it's like but an does ego But do thing. it in the context of like, you guys are in an argument and he says uh, sorry? And here's or the thing is like, he... we don't really fight. But uh-huh. like, because it, it's just he's so easy to get along with. Uh-huh. And he doesn't have an ego. Uh-huh. Where it's like some, I feel like it's an ego thing that men can't say sorry sometimes. Right. And I know women as well. Yeah. But like that saying sorry means like uh it's it's the it's it, it's rooted in the need to be right yeah and there's so much suffering mm-hmm. in needing to be right all the time right and like saying sorry doesn't mean like i'm sorry <laughs> what did you say i'm just kidding right oh right um and saying, i'm right i mean you're right <laughs> sorry uh that saying i'm sorry i think it doesn't mean that okay, you're right and I'm wrong. It, yeah. it That's the ego, like, I need to be right. But it's just like, I'm sorry that that's your experience of the re- your reality. Yeah. And, like, it's causing you suffering. It's like, it's like a common courtesy. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. We need to do better. And I think that, you know, on the surface, it's like a, an innocent thing. And we don't, it, no one should be demonized for being apologetic. But when you're just saying sorry because you feel guilty all the time, that's a societal issue because there's nothing, we don't have much, you don't have much to be guilty about. You, you contribute to society, you work hard, you, you do the things and it's like, we don't have to keep apologizing. 
women, we don't have to keep doing it. And this was something that I learned from Eve Ensler when I was blessed. We got to do a workshop with her, like in a room with maybe 40 other people, um, spent a whole day with Eve Ensler. And she was like, first of all, people were apologizing for crying in the workshop. Like they would be like, I'm sorry, I'm crying. And she would be like, stop, stop. I'll let you finish. But you just apologized for crying. She's like, everyone in this room should be apologizing for not crying. Do you see what's happening in the world? We should all be crying. So everybody else, why aren't you apologizing? She's like, are you sorry that you're not crying? And, you know, we're all like, oh, maybe we should. You know, and it it was that moment of like, no, you're right. And then mm-hmm. she And then she went on to say... Quit apologizing for feeling, for wanting, for needing, for, um, you know, wanting people to treat you with respect, for wanting people to show up, for, you know, stop apologizing for that. These are things that um, other people just expect or take for granted. You have every right to do that, too, because it's a room full of survivors. It's a room full of women who've been abused or, you know, there were some men there, too. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is a I think it's mm. like an epidemic. Mm-hmm. the whole I'm sorry thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to cap on you for it. I'm saying like women just do this. We just apologize. Oh yeah. For what? Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to, you can have some nuts. You can have some trail mix. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's like we apologize for, <laughs> I was like, you want me to have nuts? You want me to grow some balls and stop saying sorry? Um, I, it's, it's, I, I look at it like women, you know, culturally like be happy. I can't freaking stand when it's like, you're walking down the street and it's like, where's that smile? Yeah. I was like, uh, I don't have a smile, but I have two fingers. Mother. Right. <laughs> you want me to show you, know, you my ass? Just, that like anything my, other. <laughs> my ass crack has a huge smile. You want to see that? And it has dimples. <laughs> that smile. But, it, <laughs> but no, like I know. a pop. And that comes like down, you know, culturally and, and, you know, like poor women in the fifties, it's like anything that like was not pretty to look at is like, you know, so I think it's like in our roots of like, and trying to unlearn that. Well, it's like you're sorry for fucking existing. Yeah. I'm sorry that I'm experiencing anything other than joy. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry that I'm your comfort. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable because I'm experiencing some trauma right now. Yeah, like, like I think, uh, you know, what's going on in the news this week with with George Floyd and everything. Like, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed. Like, you know, like yeah. that this is happening. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people have just reached their limit with mm-hmm. this. This is fucking awful. And I'm angry. Well, I think, and you have a lot of people that are struggling right now in this quarantine and they have a lot of more time to think their lives aren't consumed with, I have to work. I have to this, I have to that. Oh, I see this news clip. That's too bad. I'm sorry. It's like, oh no, I can breathe. I can stop. This is not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You've given me some time to do something about it now. So I'm going to do, I mean, I've seen way more of my white friends being more vocal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that. I've been vocal for years, but not as much as I should have been. I know that. 
I mean, this is obvious. We should have all been demanding that these police officers have better training, that, mm-hmm. you know, these people that they don't vet. In almost all these cases, these these cops that have that have committed these crimes against these people have a history. Yeah. And it's like, OK, wh- how are we falling through the cracks here? Mm-hmm. They're not apologizing. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. those men are not apologizing for what mm-hmm. they've done. In fact, they feel um, oftentimes entitled or like, well, we were just mm-hmm. doing our jobs. And it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. no, that's not your job. Mm-hmm. Your job um, is to apprehend someone that's committed a crime. Absolutely. But to murder them in the street, that's not your job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can tell me all day long, well, you're not a cop. You don't understand the danger. You don't. I don't. And I'm not a cop and I don't understand the danger. But I I'm I can I can see with my eyes that there was no threat posed to you. And then a man died. Mm-hmm. I that I don't have to see anything else. That's mm-hmm. all I need to see mm-hmm. to know there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And there were three other cops there that did nothing mm-hmm. that yeah. helped him. Mm-hmm. I, it's yeah, it is fucked up. Yeah. And so I think, I think that like <laughs> need to get angry, mm-hmm. you know, like, and sad and let it see where it leads us to like some justice here. Yeah. You know? So I, and you know, and, and learning to, anyway, going back to the whole, like, I'm sorry thing. Like, no, like sometimes like other emotions other than joy spark change. Right. And not, you know, and being unapologetic for that, but still being compassionate person in the world is like, it's a tricky thing to navigate for me yeah, spiritually. And so I, yeah, just want to figure out how to be the best person I can be. And right. Um, anyway, I, I uh, was looking into White Fragility as a book to read next. Have yes. you have you read that? I haven't read it. Of of course, I've been doing the research. I read something today though. Um, somebody posted, and I think yeah, we've got to we've got to educate ourselves. We've got to read the books. But I saw this post by um, Sugar Dear Cheryl Cheryl Str- is it Strayed? Oh, okay. She posted. Oh, you know, you should read this book. It's, you know, a book about um, dealing with how to deal with your own racism and everything. And I saw a comment that said, we need you to stop reading books and finding out how to, and we need you to get out here in the streets mm. and, and protect us and do this with us. Mm. Like, thank you for reading mm-hmm. the books. Mm-hmm. Stop reading the books. Stop Apply it. it. <laughs> right. Like we, the books, yeah. they're out there. Uh-huh. You can read them. Uh-huh. But it's it's go time mm. we're pat you know we're beyond mm-hmm. the books and so okay so glennon doyle let's get let's get, let's to, get into she talks our about book that. Yeah, yeah let's do it so our book this week is untamed by glennon doyle and um so just some information about glennon um so glennon doyle i think it was in 2009 she started writing um a blog and it was called Momastery. And she was like a religious Christian blogger, um, married. I think at that point she had, I think she had two children, a son and a daughter, right? Mm. Two children, um, married. So she started this blog and then she wrote her first book, her memoir, Carry On Warrior in 2013. And then in 2016, Love Warrior. Uh, she wrote that about her marriage and about dealing with 
overcoming like her husband's infidelity and like all this stuff. And Oprah put her on her book club as one of you know, mm-hmm. the selections. And that, that like shot her into, you know, our, our consciousness, mm-hmm. I guess. Cause I would have never looked up a Christian blog. Let's be real. So <laughs> I did not know who she was um, at all. And then, then she wrote Untamed. So immediately that book just took off. Everybody was all over the book. So anyway, so she took off. The book deals with her. So this is her third memoir, which she takes some shit from. People are like, wow, you're on your third memoir. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's funny. It's like, wow. Okay. But, you know, she's just putting it out there. She's putting herself out there and she's being being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And she's saying, this is my life. And so Untamed is a book about ultimately her beginning a relationship with a woman ending her marriage falling in love with this woman abby and them becoming a couple navigating that with her family and her friends but also with her followers because she had a bunch of like christian mommy followers that were like really into her really respected her and that were like what the fuck you're a lesbian i can whoa how do you know how do i how do you reconcile that with my Christianity, basically? So I listened to the book because Jerry <laughs> mentioned it. And also my dear friend, Kim, she just sent it to me on audio, mm-hmm. on Audible. Mm-hmm. All one day, I just got a link that's mm-hmm. like, here, this, this is from Kim. And so I started listening to it. And at first I was like, I'm not going to be a lesbian. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> she really makes a case for becoming a lesbian. I was like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I do like it. Let's be honest here. I'm kind of <laughs> digging women after this book. But no, so, so she opens the book with the story of they're at the zoo and the cheetah. Basically, basically her ex-husband is a cheetah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And she's observing this wild animal with her daughter who is in a cage. The daughter makes an observation about the cheetah's behavior. And then she says that, you know, the cheetah's just become wild. And I think that's it for women now. It's, I think we're we're finally getting to a point and they're, oh man, they're trying to squelch it. But I think we're getting to a point where we realize in this world, in our existence, like we, we deserve our own place in time and history. And we deserve all of the same things that everyone else deserves. And so I think that's why the book is so powerful and is resonating with everybody. You it know? is such, a, such a spectrum. Oh my. Yeah. I, I think there's like three books in my life that have like, I've read that have like altered me mm-hmm. or changed me. Mm-hmm. That is the four agreements, the power of now. And then I would say like this book, Untamed, I read it in like two days. Yeah. It's like such a quick read. It's um, And it's very short anecdotal. Stories. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's just really mm-hmm. short stories. You can just kind of power through it. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really, in my opinion, linger on anything for too long. She just yeah. uses, it's like, it's like um, life lessons, mm-hmm. you know? Was there um, a section in the book that really resonated with you, Carla? Um, well, there were a few. I, so I listened to the book. I was dur- during the quarantine, um, as I had told you before we started recording, I, I drove to Texas to see my sister. So I decided to power through the book on that drive. Cause it, it's a long listen. 
and it's a thick book. So I was, I had, you know, 18 hours one way and 18 hours back. So <laughs> I think it's, if you do it on Audible, it's long. You need to set aside <laughs> some time. <laughs> well, we got time these days. We do. And that's why I was able to do it. Okay. Yeah. So it's an eight hour and 22 minute listen. So, you know, it's pretty intense, but I think for me, mm-hmm. the, the parts that stood out were when she talks about when she first sees Abby and how it just kind of, you know, it just rocked her soul and she knew and she was basically willing to just do whatever she needed to do to be with her. But then I felt like what happens then is that she's very responsible about how she handled it. And her husband was receptive to the conversation because of what they had been through, I think, is my impression. And so I think I I was just drawn to the fact that she really was willing just to blow up her life, possibly alienate herself from her children. You know, you don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen when you're like, oh, hi, I'm... Mm -hmm. I'm a lesbian. I'm leaving your dad and I'm going to go live with this woman. And mm-hmm. she just did it. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's selfish. There's a lot of people that would be like, that's mm. how could you do something? But her whole point of the book is like it, all of these labels, we get we get to be who we are. We're supposed to be who we are. And that's who I wanted to be. So I just like that the the trajectory of their romance. I read an, a review that was like, that by by a fan of hers, it was like, you know, the book was supposed to go into her uh, relationship with Abby and it really doesn't. And it and I'm like, what? what? Did you read the same book? I'll, we'll read the review later. <laughs> and I was like, Are, what? Are you crazy? Also, her defiance of like, so she, she is a recovered drug addict. She's very open and honest about that. And just her honesty about how she, like dealing with her own shortcomings, uh, you know, but also her family and how they contributed to to that part of her life, you know. And and um, she has that conversation with her mom, mm-hmm. where she says, like, "Hey," after you know she tells her, "I'm in love with this woman," and she's like, "If you don't, if you cannot show up and support, like, don't call back until you can show up and support this life because my I need my kids to be on board. I need you to be on board." And, you know, like it, there's no other option. So you're either mm-hmm. basically you're either with me or against me. And people we're so scared to do that. It's like everybody's like, oh, no, I, I can't do that. So I can't do that to these people because they love me and they're depending on me in this way. And I can never do that to them. And I think she makes a great point of like, no, if I'm not happy and if I'm not safe and if I don't feel like I'm getting the love I need, I'm no, I'm not going to give that back. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to get those parts of me either. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of that, like just really mm-hmm. owning yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fear that we put into like taking those, those steps and seeing it as bravery and not as selfishness, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the other parts, which we'll get into a little bit, I, that I had some issues with, but she admits her own shortcomings is when she does talk about white ladies and racism and all that stuff. I did have mm-hmm. some issues with those sections, but we can talk about that later. What resonated for you? Um, well, I love that she actually dedicates the book to her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she talks about her daughter a lot. Tish. Um, yeah. She has three kids now, um, but t- I think Tish is her uh, middle. Right. Um, and Tish is, is 
very sensitive child, mm-hmm. hypersensitive. And so my whole life I've been labeled as very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, you're so sensitive. Guy, you're overreacting. You're so sensitive. Right. And you know that there's shame attached to being overly sensitive Mm -hmm. um, in my experience. So, you know, you're trying to like hmm, rein it in. But really, it's like, you know, there's some people that are empaths and that are that can feel the energy of others, feel uh, also universal energies that can affect. people and so for me it's like I sometimes like I wish that I like I pray that I wasn't so sensitive Mm -hmm. um I'm like god I'm so sensitive I could be like the littlest thing can affect me or like something in the news or you know yeah um and you're gonna have an emotional reaction and and I usually deal with that privately by myself but I was able to relate to the daughter a lot and the way that that Glennon Doyle writes about sensitive people is like it makes me feel like it's a superpower, yeah, versus a, a deficit or something like I'm broken, right? And I just love. Can I just like read this one part? Her totally. daughter. I think my favorite chapter is towards the beginning. Is like about polar bears mm-hmm. and how her daughter was in school and her teacher, like in fourth grade, was like, oh, and by the way, the uh, she was really dismissive. Was like, oh, the polar bears are dying. They're all gonna die. They're all gonna die. Okay, recess. Right. And all the kids are like, oh, okay. And then this this girl who's is just like, mom, you know, they're all going to die. These polar bears are dying and we're just like glossing over this. Right. And like all she could think about with these polar bears dying and, you know, and, and then Glennon Doyle comes to this point where she's like, yeah, why aren't we caring about the damn polar bears? Right. Cause at first she's like, honey, I honey, know get it over sucks. It. Yeah. It's, I uh, know it's hard. And then she's like, oh my God, like, why aren't we stopping? And, like, and I, I feel that in the world right now. Why aren't we stopping? This is an opportunity for us to stop and take care of things in the earth that are. Yeah. And each other. And each other. And yeah. so she, you know, I just love that she said, Glennon Doyle writes, in most cultures, folks like Tish are identi- identified early, set apart as shamans, medicine people, poets, and clergy. They are considered eccentric, but critical to the survival of the group because they are able to hear things others don't hear and see things others don't see and feel things others don't feel. The culture depends on the sensitivity of a few because nothing can be healed if it's not sensed first. But our society is so hell-bent on expansion, power, and efficiency at all costs that folks like Tish, like me, are inconvenient. We slow the world down. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I completely resonated with that. Yeah. Um, right. Because like, you have an entire portion of the population who is so sensitive, but <laughs> that's all they say. You're so, sensitive. so sensitive, caring about. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have all these people that are just stifled. Just like, shut why, it, shut it down. Why aren't you sensitive? Right. Why? What is wrong you, with you? What's, your, what's up with your apathy? You know. Right. And that's a big theme in our current administration of like that is weakness. If you care, if you show empathy, if you have compassion, I felt like that that has been demonized these last three years in a way that's like trying to change our core. Of who we are. So bad. Now, I'm not blind to the fact that a lot of these things have always been going on. And now we have a situation, I think, where we have a leader who he glorifies it and he brings it to the surface. 
Mm-hmm. It's like you have water and then you put the oil in the water and then all the oil just, mm-hmm. it just sits on top of the water. Mm-hmm. So before we had oil and we had water, but now mm-hmm. put them together and mm-hmm. you see all of the oil is just sitting there on top of the water and you, you know, what are we going to do about it? And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I love her musings on her daughter because she's so um connected to her but then she also feels like she's disconnected too because she feels like her daughter's almost like emotionally more mature or heightened than she is in some ways and 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 this is there was a part in the book where she's connecting with her daughter and this is so this was so telling for me and i was like oh my god you know glennon doyle is wrestling with the she's like should i leave my husband should i you know, should I go with my heart and be with this woman or should I stay with my, in this marriage I'm not happy with? And she's braiding her daughter's hair. I don't want to give too much away in the book, but yeah. she's braiding this, having this moment with her daughter. And then she just looks at her daughter's eyes and is like, would I want my daughter to be in this marriage? Right. And that's when she knew. And I'm like, God, that's so true. Yeah. It's like, would we want the, this relationship for our daughters? Yeah. And I think we need to get over this, this stigma of like, staying together for the kids. Like I, yeah. I know I recognize that I am not married and I do not have children, but I am a firm believer that if you're unhappy in a marriage and you've tried everything to do to make it work, like you don't have to stay because you're doing that to be courageous. Like right. I'm so blessed because my mom, thankfully, and a lot of people would say she stayed way too long, but she left when I was around seven, she left. And I know that if she had stayed, I would not be who I am today. I don't know who I would be. I don't, I don't know, but I would not be who I am today. And I, for the most part, I like who I am today and I like the journey that I've had and I like the experiences I've had. And I feel like if she had stayed with my father and stayed in that marriage, none of it, I would have had none of that. And I think people, when they stay in a bad relationship, whether there's kids involved or not, you're denying yourself of the experience of a good relationship of a, of a, and if you have kids of showing your kids what that looks like and what Mm -hmm. that feels like. And I'm 46 and I'm single. I've had a few not great relationships, but I haven't stayed. And I think I learned from my mom a long time ago, don't stay in any relationship where you're not being respected and loved and wanted and needed. And she used to always tell me that you are loved, wanted, and needed. And mm. anybody in your life should make you feel that way. Yeah. And if they don't, you walk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's harder. You know, it's easier said than done. Like I yeah. know I've been in relationships that I was not happy in, but I stayed. And I think that, you know, like there's, there's this, I don't know, stigma of like, I couldn't make it work. Right. You're a failure. Or I'm a failure. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. And she talks about that, that fear of like, who am I if I, if Mm -hmm. I can't make this work, but then she goes on to find a loving relationship with somebody that it's not like about making it work. It's like, no, I want to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm happy here. I'm good here. Mm -hmm. So and I want that for, I just want that for I want everyone to, you know, yeah, have what they want and feel happy and, you know, it should be a joyous thing. Yeah. And that's what I think that like I love this book so much. It's like it celebrates love and 
and and know. our right, our right yes. to not just have love, but to have the life that we want to have. Yeah, joy. It's our birthright. Our, yeah, joy is our birthright. And I've spent years, like years, um, feeling like I had to uh, work a certain amount of hours a week, and I've had to. And I, you know, I've taken a lot of risks too. It's like, I've always worked and run a theater company and done this and done that. And, but it's only been recently and it will be more now because I've had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to self-reflect, but it's only been recently that I'm like, you can still make as much money as you were making working 50 hours, 60 hours, whatever. I mean, there were weeks in my life where I've worked unbelievable hours because I'm doing, I'm juggling so much. You can still do that and do that 20 hours a week. And then you can go take your dog for a walk and mm-hmm. you can take a nap and mm-hmm. um, you can make a pancakes at noon if you want. Like <laughs> it's your life. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of people that are like, no, that's, you have to grind. You have to do, you have to crush it. You have to do this. You have to do that. Oh, God. No, I don't. I, I want to enjoy, dog. I want to enjoy my fucking life. Yeah. I want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I haven't had the same goals that some women have had. I don't have children. I don't have, you know, and I know that's a whole other set of responsibilities that comes with like raising kids and everything. And I don't have that. But even without that, I haven't taken ownership of my life. I've always felt guilty or felt bad if I didn't do it a certain way. And until recently, I'm like, I am untamed. I am an untamed woman. I am a cheetah on the prowl. (laughs) So she says uh, when she was 10 years old is when she learned these these things. These are the things she learned when she was 10. And then she spends the rest of her life trying to break out of that. Uh, these are the feelings you're allowed to express. This is how a woman should act. Mm. This is the body you must strive for. These are the things you will believe. These are the people you can love. Those are the people you should fear. This is the kind of life you're supposed to want. God, that's a rough list. And, 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 you know, I read something the other day. It's like, yeah, it can be hard to learn things. It can be even harder to unlearn right. things. Right. Totally. It's in our energy and our makeup and like having to undo that in our subconscious is just like the explicit and the implicit messages is messages. This is, this is we've been given at a young age is like, it's really hard to undo that. Right. Those learnings. It is because it's in our bones. And so that leads into this discussion about how she deals, like her talking about racism and stuff in this, even in the book made me uncomfortable. Um, she brings it around, but it made me uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. I still felt like it was like, you're still taking up too much space in the conversation. Mm-hmm. like but but she's self-aware mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. but it still made me uncomfortable because i'm mm-hmm. in a place of like i need to shut the fuck up mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what i think anymore it doesn't matter what i think about mm-hmm. um any of it i i need to step back and i need to let people of color that are actually experiencing this they here's the mic i don't i'm yeah. done but i'm here and i'm gonna make sure nobody's gonna take that mic but here you it's your, you go, you say what you need to say, you do. And I'm going to be right there behind you. That chapter made me uncomfortable too, Carla. Didn't it? Because I feel like she was saying, 
but this is what I'm doing and I'm I'm a I'm a good person because I'm look a at good the charity look person. at the charity I've started and all the things I'm doing and it's right. like and exactly what you're saying Carla it's like it's not our story to tell yeah right? it, like it's like hand the mic over yeah that chapter did make me uncomfortable even even though I think that she made a good point at the end of like how are we respond like how are we contributing to this problem that is a huge issue in our in in America and the world right. racism how are we contributing that is a good point but then she goes to defend herself and I didn't like that either yeah she I was like, like this it. is but this is what I'm doing it's like <laughs> right and so I think like it's it's like a it's a slippery slope right because you she has this platform and so part so in the book she talks about how she basically plans this like a workshop for white women to come and dismantle their their racism. And she puts the workshop out and she's charging for it, right? Initially she's charging and she gets lambasted. Like people are coming at her like, who are you to mm-hmm. help other white? You're a white woman. You're a mm-hmm. Christian white woman. Mm-hmm. In all your privilege and all your thing, you know, and um, and she's like horrified because she's thinking, "Well, I'm doing a good thing. I'm trying to help." Mm. And they're like, "And you're going to charge? Mm. Like you're making money off of mm-hmm. taking the narrative mm-hmm. of white people are racist, and you're going to help dismantle? Like, mm-hmm. who are you to do mm-hmm. that?" And it, oh god, I was just so uh. like. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Because nowadays, yeah. right now, especially the tension of like of, of people needing to step back and and be silent allies and be uh, and just show up is is uh, ever present. And mm-hmm. hearing this, I was just like, oh, my God. And so I found um, there's an article in the cut and I will include all the links and everything. But it says, um, Glennon Doyle is coming to get the white women. <laughs> and it it's a pretty good article. And it kind of, it, it goes into the issues um, about how uncomfortable it, it's making other people when she's, because she goes out on all these talks and she goes on book tours and she's, mm-hmm. out, and then she's bringing it up and it makes people really uncomfortable because they're like, you're a white woman. Why are you, mm-hmm. why are you doing it? This is what I had to reconcile for myself. And something that I've been through is that the the alternative is that she say nothing and that she'd not address it at all. That's not, an, that's not okay either. Mm. It's not okay. So I'm like, well, how much more harm is it if she doesn't say anything and doesn't do anything? Mm-hmm. Because she does have a platform People are listening to her. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what Brene Brown says. If you're not in the arena, I don't really want to hear what you have to say. So I kind of had to like, I listened mm-hmm. to it. I went through mm-hmm. it. And because of some things I've been through in my own personal life, I'm like, if you're not doing the work, if you're not in there, if you're not, then you really should shut up. Because mm-hmm. I'm not putting on seminars mm-hmm. for people to help break down their racism. I'm not attending those seminars. I'm not reading mm-hmm. the books. Um, I haven't even gone to a rally, a Black Lives Matter rally. I haven't, you know, I'm not doing it. So I'm like, who am I to fucking put down Glennon Doyle? 
but it still made me cringe listening to it. Cause I was like, this is not how you go about it. But then I'm like, shut up. I'm not doing shit. Except for like, I post on Facebook and I let my friends know, I hear you. I see you. I'm, I acknowledge, you know, I, I stand beside you, but what am I really doing? So I had to kind of just mm. slap my own self and say, well, listen, at least she's willing to fuck up. And, mm. you know, even if she did it wrong, she did something, mm. which is more than what most of us are doing right now. Mm-hmm. So mm. I kind of was mm-hmm. like really irritated, but also uh-huh. like Carla. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <sighs> she, she's putting, she's putting herself mm. out there in a way and she's putting herself mm. out there writing this book where, Hey ladies, you can be happy. You can experience life in a way that, that brings joy to your soul. It's Okay. Um, I'm going to fuck up. I, I might mess up, but at yeah. least I'm here. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause I, I listened to the podcast with Glennon Doyle and Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle is friends with Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert, Gilbert uh-huh. who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Right. And th- she talks about Elizabeth Gilbert in the book. Um, and basically her first draft of this book, Elizabeth, Gilbert read it. Why is that name so hard to me to say? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert. Gilbert. Cow, now brown cow. Gilbert. Uh, <laughs> that she, when she first read her first draft, she was like, you're talking about being untamed. And this book is boring, basically. It's not wild. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like she went back to the drawing board, you know, mm-hmm. and just like even the cover is like full of glitter and different colors. And then like the structure of it is... Right. not traditional um so and then you know exactly what you're saying like she brings up uncomfortable conversations and like there's no it, there's a lot of gray areas in the book too right which is life is like there's it, so many areas where it's just like what is it's what i've always <laughs> hated about like criticism where yes i might not agree with all of it but i didn't sit down and write a book and put my whole life out there I haven't done, oh, I did a podcast about my sex life, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not like a. Oh, this is about your sex life? I'm not life? a this love whole, warrior. This whole, this whole podcast is, is about my sex, sex life? life. Oh, well, we've been tamed. This whole episode. We need to get untamed. Okay. This, what's this your episode, favorite position? <laughs> <laughs> this episode is about my sex life. No, it's not. Um, No, but I'm just saying like, I have not made myself vulnerable. I have not put myself out there like that. Um, in some ways I have, I think more than some people do for sure, but I have a long way to go. So, so this is funny. This is a book review that I found that I don't necessarily agree with, but this is what this woman says. She says, Glennon Doyle's, this is uh, by Sarah Nielsen from the Seattle Times. Oh, I love her. Glennon, no, she's I amazing. No I don't either. <laughs> You can click on her name and there's a bio, but anyway. Glennon Doyle's Untamed opens with a story about a cheetah. While Doyle is at the zoo with her wife and kids, the family watches a cheetah run. She puts cheetah run in quotes, in which a cheetah chases a stuffed pink bunny attached to the back of a Jeep. After the run, Doyle's young daughter notices the cheetah stalking the perimeter of her cage, and she says, Mommy, she turned wild again. It's a metaphor for the ways women are tamed from birth by patriarchy. In Untamed, Doyle writes about the ways in which she was caged by internalized misogyny, religious doctrine, and homophobia, an eating disorder that started in her early adolescence, uh, blah, blah, blah. It goes on to say. So then it says, however, many stories end too neatly with heavy-handed messages of inner power and freedom. 
Freedom is an important concept in this memoir, but the language of freedom and liberation has larger connotations outside of white women's experience of patriarchy. Now, mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she can't write from any other experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why is that a critique? Like, she, she can't tell any other experience mm-hmm. of that, of being in the patriarchy. Like, I can't either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called appropriation, and she's going to get busted if she tries to do that, too. So mm-hmm. I just feel like mm-hmm. the book's called Untamed. We fucking can't win. Right? <laughs> Like she's getting busted for like putting it all out there and being vulnerable and saying, and then she's getting busted for not do. It. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, this is the problem. I'm part of the problem too, because mm-hmm. I have all these judgments. This reviewer, you know, is like busting her for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. have you written a book about your life and shared it with the whole world? Mm-mm. No, you just judge other people's lives. And also, right. Also, she's a she was a blogger. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to put anything out there. She could have just kind of switched her blog up a little bit and been like, I like the ladies. And then keep talking about yeah, going yeah. to soccer and church on Sunday. Like, I don't and, know. You know, kind of lingus. And I honey, mean, yeah. Honey. A little trib, trib, what it, tri, tri bat, trouble, trip, what, tribe, tribe, trip? I don't know. I hear that lesbians don't even do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't believe that. But anyway. The scissoring? Yes. Oh, I've had some friends of mine that are lesbians like, no, f- no. And I'm like, if I were a lesbian, I would totally do that though. I know. Wouldn't that be cute? <laughs> I want to do, I want to scissor you if I, I, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, I was just very vulnerable sharing that. The scissoring? Yes. Or the, <laughs> or I that can- I would want to if women are beautiful. Oh, women are amazing. Women are so beautiful. I find myself way more like when I go out and that this might be uh, socialized or bred in. I don't know. But I check women out way more than men. I'm like, wow, she's really oh, hot. I check out women. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I rarely, like when I see a man I'm attracted to, I'm like, no. Like, it's like, that's. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm that cheetah. Oh, look at that bouncer. <laughs> You shut up about the bouncer. What? I just, it's just a, I mean, what? You're yes. like, that was just a random. Can I see some ID? Oh. Oh, I'll show you my ID. Oh. Um, okay. This is a, this is. Oh, girl, you're blushing. Oh, is this a Dodge? Oh, hey, Dodge. Hello, artful Dodger. This is a bad Amazon review. Uh, So this is from a woman who subscribes to her blog, who is like, was a, like a fan. And she's like, she's a little annoyed with Glennon. Uh-oh. I was very excited about the promise of Untamed, which was touted as telling the love story of Glennon and Abby. This is the one I told mm-hmm. you about. First, I am more than halfway through this book, and their love story has only been touched upon very briefly. I can't, I love these reviews and because I'm always like, did you read the book? She talks about her in every single... She like, does. She's, and they said, it's like, uh, um, Abby, I... I was stalking her on Instagram. Yeah. And I, Abby's, oh my God, she's so cute. Yeah, she so is. So fun. Um, but she says like, you know, this is the lo- their love story. Yeah. Like she said, this book is the love story. So I don't know what, I don't, I, this this Christian blogger is just like wanting more sex details. <laughs> that's it. She's the one that's she's curious. Like, I wanted to hear more she's about like, the trip. Really touched upon it. And I want to know how they touch each other. Right. You sick. What's her name? You perm. Michelle. Michelle. 
She says, I understand that Glennon herself has changed a lot in the last decade, that she's evolving. But there were many people who loved her previous books, who bought into the message she was selling then, who felt that those books and words spoke to them on a personal level. And now Glennon totally dismisses those. And I haven't read the books. She totally dismisses those works. At the beginning of one of the chapters in Untamed, she literally pulls a quote from Love Warrior about how she was born broken and sensitive. And this says some crap I wrote my, about myself in my previous book. So for all the people swooning over Untamed, for all you know, in 10 years, she could be saying this was all crap in some phase she was going through. That's life, lady. The book that is life. Michelle, the book is called <laughs> Untamed. I do not have to follow the same narrative this year that I followed last year. I don't and have also, to feel that the is same life. way. That is like, it is not right? a linear journey. It is ups, it is downs, it is zigzag. Yeah. And people that, like this review, Michelle, <laughs> is that they're uncomfortable with change. Right. They liked Love Warrior because it was like, oh, okay, this validates my story and my experience. And it's perfectly in this like little box that I can control. But then Untamed, it's a different narrative, a di different story. Oh, she's evolved. She's changed. Right. And people are uncomfortable with change. Totally. And and so like, this is... She's betraying me because she's trying to what, evolve. What actually that is, is manipulation. It's like you want people to stay the way they are. So, you, you know. Right. So your life is... You can somewhat control it. Or right. I don't know. It's, it's BS. Michelle? And also, Michelle, um, <laughs> I think... Like, she's going to sell more books being honest about, hey, I've changed. I'm different than staying in that cookie cutter oh, formulaic yeah. box. And we learn I, and grow. Like, I'm not the same as I was yesterday. I'm not the same as I was in my 20s. And I sometimes, like, I'll talk to my best friend on the phone. I'm like, okay, I'm 36 now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. You remember when we were 20 in college? Like, not a worry in the world. Like, no anxiety. Just, like, eating Big Macs every night. Yep. Um, drinking pop-off vodka. Okay. I was like, those were the days. And I'm like, God, I wish I could go back to college. And my friend always, like, graciously reminds me. She's like, do you, though? Right. Is that really Look how much you've do? changed. And look how much – would you want to go back to that unknowing or, like – you know, yeah. uh, but like growth can become uncomfortable, but it's true. I go every decade. I'm learning so much more about myself and, and I can't wait to see what I uncover in my forties. Right. What's and next? What's next? I mean, I'm coming up on 50 in three years. I'll be 50. Mm -hmm. I'm 50. Five. Okay. Three and a half. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, that's high. a high, huge. I'll be 50. I was yeah. talking to my friend, my friend about it since I've known since college. And we were, she, we were both like, we're going to be 50. And she's like, I looked forward to 30. I looked forward to 40. I thought, fuck yeah. She goes, 50? I don't know. She's like, I'm feeling like on the fence. It could either be the best thing ever or it could really suck. She's like, I don't know yet. But she's like, I know it's my job to make the best of it. But she's like, I'm a little, I'm a little apprehensive about 50. And I'm like, I know it feels as a woman, you know, you're going into winding down, you know, <laughs> it's like, that's how it feels to me. And that's mm -hmm. probably not true because I know a lot of women that are like, you know, oh, here's another one. This is a leftist agenda in disguise. This is great. <laughs> she says, uh, 
Oh, I love this. So she says, I wanted to like this book. I underlined and highlighted some exceptional sentences near the beginning. I love the, I loved the idea of imagining my truest and most beautiful life. But then she switched to a spewing of her leftist political ideologies. It's burning my eyes to read it. I'm a conservative woman and I find her broadcast of beliefs and negation of mine disheartening. It is not the uplifting memoir I expected. Negation of mine. I, I can't, I'm like, really? So because she says her truth and tells her story, that negates your experience. Well, that's what's... That's your shit, yeah. Sarah. Sarah. Sarah and Michelle need to go <laughs> figure it out. Michelle. And And so here's the thing is, this I is what is happening in... This is the problem, I think, with our world right now and relationships is like, because somebody has a different opinion... Or like, experience. Or experience. It's like, we take it personal. We get butthurt. Um, you know, it's like, we can't, there's so much division right now. And it's like, we can't just listen to each other and like find some sort of like common ground or it's so split. It's so, everything's so full of conflict if right. somebody has an opinion. Right. And you know. Yeah. And it's like a personal affront if you don't agree with someone else's ideology. And it's like, I am liberal. I am leftist. Mm -hmm. I don't think this, I don't necessarily think, I think Glennon Doyle is still struggling with some of this stuff. And mm -hmm. she's honest mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think she's the most liberal woman I've ever read, clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah, I got some books for you. You want to you get crazy. But I, I think she is trying to say, I've seen the world differently because of my experience. So I'm going to share it with you. And I don't, I just, when people say stuff like that, I mean, this is just one lady that wrote a review, but it, but it, I think it feeds into a, what a lot of people think, you know, mm. but I'm like, well, you still bought the book. This woman says, um, I am officially untamed. This oh. is a five-star review. Oh, so I followed Glennon's journey, having first seen her on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. <laughs> I enjoyed Love Warrior. And in the face of all the life changes she's gone through, I was initially unsure whether the book would tell me anything I hadn't already heard. Uh, I was so wrong. Quarter of the way through, I was texting my best friend saying, you have to read this. Several pages later, I was like, I'm not even finished. And I've already ordered you your own copy, <laughs> which is basically what happened. Kim's like here. Yeah. I read it cover to cover twice in one weekend, the second time with a highlighter. What's mm. so great about it? Her message for women, how easy it is to get trapped in the lives that aren't who we are. Her message for young girls and the great story of how Abby coached their daughter through sport that sometimes you have to do hard things that you don't want to do in order to get to do what you want. Her message for boys that they oh. owe responsibility to their family. This that was a good one. Oh, yeah. They owe responsibility to their families and to muck in with all the chores at home. Her message about online porn and what it does to young people's brains if they're not taught healthy messages about sex. I could go on, but I won't because you should hear it from Glennon, not me. That's a good one. You know what? I would like to comment on. Yes, this is every woman should read this. Also, I think men should. Oh, because yeah, because definitely the chapter about boys. And how also men are suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this uh, cultural stigma against men talking about their uh, emotional interior life. Yeah. And how, you know, like, what that does to these young men. Yeah. And, you know, like, with our work, that really resonated with me. Because we've worked with these men doing mending monologues for years. Um, and being in a room with men who are being vulnerable and being... Mm honest and mm -hmm. and and it, it's hard mm -hmm. 
it's so much harder for them. And I have to honor that because I think it's hard for me, but I haven't spent my whole life having somebody tell me how weak I would be if I were to express any of it. God, we got to get over that shit. It's and not weakness and vulnerability for these men. I just want not. them to know that it's strength. Right. It's courage. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, because holding all that emotion in, like, causes, like, disease. Yeah. And dis-ease. the abuse that men put each other through by not holding each other accountable, by not calling out other men's abuse. And so, and I feel like she really, and, and she has, um... She has skin in the game. She's raising a son. Who just came out, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. And, and um, look at you putting little, I know, little Easter eggs little in there. <laughs> and this is what's beautiful is that Glennon and her ex-husband divorced, right? Mm-hmm. But they're co-parenting together. Right. And, I did know that. You know, and they're, they've maintained a friendship. And it just looks different. And, right. And that's beautiful. And his name's Craig. And when um, Glennon's son came out, Craig came up to Glennon and said, Glennon, maybe this wouldn't have happened if you didn't live your authentic story and truth. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you never know who you're inspiring with your authenticity or your journey. Right. Right. And I just think there's another great chapter in here about like the messages we get as men and women at a young age and she talks about um when she, glennon goes into her her kid's bathroom mm-hmm. and picks up yes. the shampoo bottles uh-huh yeah and she's like <laughs> and um oh this is Why so hilarious so she, many- looks, she looks at all these shampoo bottles are just empty all over uh-huh. the place but the the boy's shampoo says three times bigger doesn't rob you of your dignity armor <laughs> up in man scent drop kick dirt then slam odor with a folding chair. That is the messaging you're getting on a shampoo bottle at a young boy. It's like, okay, this is going to make me like manly and right. tough. I'm bold. I'm bold. And then the woman's is like, mm, bask in this alluring, radiant, gentle, pure, illuminating, enticing, touchable, light, creamy. Yeah. Bottle of shampoo. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, yeah. God, these messages come at such a... It's not just like, here's your soap. <laughs> It's wrapped in. Wash your balls. This is no, who you're supposed, is, to be. Is who you're supposed to be. Yeah. Totally. I loved that. I loved that. And like raising, I can't imagine. Ra- it's hard enough letting my dog figure out like <laughs> his trajectory. But I can't imagine like seriously raising children and like wanting them to be the truest form of themselves and to not, how do you protect them from all of the messages right now? There's like mm. so many different, God, especially with like social media and all that. It's, it's just so in much. Your face. But if you don't expose them to it, then yeah. they're also at a disadvantage. <gasps> God, what do we do? I don't know. I'm not this having so- kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, not I, my, I, my I, problem. I'm just going to get a dog. <laughs> totally not my problem. But um, you have three kids. You have Sam. That's true. I have Sam, Clark, Clarky, and, and Ali. Baby boy. <laughs> No, but it's true. Like, it would terrify me to try right now. And parents, I applaud you. Oh, my gosh. I applaud you. I applaud you. Oh, yeah. I babysat my niece and nephew for two days. I was exhausted for, like, three months. Right. Of, like, the Zoom teaching, the online. Like, I almost lost my damn mind after two days. Right. And they're my favorite humans in the world. Yeah. But, like, it gave me so much, like, I don't know. It gave me insight uh, of what these parents, like, you know. Well, and also... I think just 
taking a moment and saying to parents, I see what you're going through right now. Like, I, I don't know how I would hold up going from having to, you know, you take your kids to school, you drop them off, you go to work. It's already stressful. Now they can't do that. You know, I have my friends who are working, who have their kids at home. They're having to make sure that they're staying on top of, you know, being in a Zoom room all day with their teacher and the other students. They're working their jobs out of home. They've got all the distractions of being at home, which even I'm a single person living alone. I have constant distractions here. Um, what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was distracted. No, I don't. I can't go to work and focus. I'm here. Yeah. So I cannot imagine what mm-hmm. parents are going through. I can't imagine what mm-hmm. teachers are going through. And I think it says a lot about everybody right now that people have kind of just just shifted mm-hmm. just like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think people are going to suffer PTSD from this when we, mm. as we start to try to, I, I don't think things are ever going to go back to the way they were necessarily, but as we start to try to figure out our way back, I think there's going to be a lot of repercussions, but the steps and the things that I've seen my friends and teachers and parents and everybody doing to like keep their kids in some kind of pattern or some kind of just let them know, like we still have order. We still have structure. I applaud, I applaud mm-hmm. everyone that's mm-hmm. doing that because this is just an unprecedented time mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also very grateful that I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I know. I, I'm hardly making it through taking care of myself. I am. Gosh. I know. I know. I don't know how you're taking care of other human beings. Are you having this I'm, feeling of like, I, and every day I'm like, I'm sad, I'm depressed and mm-hmm. then I'm guilty. I feel bad. Because I'm sad and I'm like, oh yeah, get we over it, yourself. And then I'm like, but wait, judgment. you're alone and you yeah. have no family here. And you, but get over it. You have friends and people care about you. And you have, a, but I just do that all oh, day yeah. of like, yeah. I want to reach out to my friend, but I know they're struggling too. And I don't want to be like, hey, I'm really struggling because I, I feel like that's so selfish. Because of course, they're anybody I would reach out to now is also like, well, yes, so am I. None of my friends do that or would, mm-hmm. but. Me, I'm like, I don't want to put my shit on somebody else right now because everybody's mm-hmm. got their fair share of shit. But I'm also like, I need the connection. I need, you know, and it just, I don't know. It's such a weird, the guilt. We put a guilt on top of our emotion, which makes it worse. Right. Jerry. Quantum, Quantum information code. Who also, I have a podcast with. <laughs> knock off your shit yes we'll talk about that in a minute and and i will link it in the bio or whatever thank you, Carla. whatever it is people he do. you know i've been reaching out to him during my days that are my my you know i call it my you know my dark my dark days my uh shadow days whatever right where i just like i'm like i like my tools aren't working like i really love meditation yoga and like hikes in nature or like a meditation for me, but like when those tools aren't working and I'm just like spiraling, he's really great about helping me navigate that. Yeah. But what he told me that really has been resonating with me is build a house of okay. So in your house of okay, there's a room to be sad and it's okay. There's a room to be depressed and it's okay Mm -hmm. and be joyful and okay. Like, but I think what happens is so often it's like we're in the funk because 
we're putting a judgment on the funk. Like right. when I'm depressed, I'm like, I'm depressed. I shouldn't be. That awful mm-hmm. should, mm-hmm. which is a terrible word, S-H word. Yeah. I shouldn't be in this, that it makes it worse versus like, it's okay that I'm depressed right now. Yeah. And like a finding that grace within ourselves of like, it's okay. It's yeah, a human and, and experience. Ad- admitting it so that you can be present for other people when they are going through it too. And being like, yep, I know how you feel. And because I, I think that that like when you're owning it, it, it's as uncomfortable as those days are. Like I've had my tough days. It's like, but like being able to like be okay with it and and openly talk to about it with somebody creates a deeper connection, empathy for others. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, I, it's tough to navigate some days. Other guilt I've had, and I'm 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 guessing that there are people that are in therapy that deal with this. Um, and I've 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 reckoned I, I've struggled with it, but I've, I think I've, I'm over it. But anyway, I want to say it because, um, so Jerry's not just my coach, but he's also my friend. And I, mm-hmm. I have guilt about, mm-hmm. I know he's going through stuff right now too. And I have guilt about reaching out and being like, I, you know, I need your help right now. But then I have to remind myself, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people need to remember right now is that Part of being human and part of like, and I know Jerry is this type of person where what validates him is being needed in that way. I think he Mm -hmm. feels better knowing that he can help and that he's being of use in some way of, of like helping you kind of get through this stuff. So I would just kind of challenge people that Mm. if you are struggling right now, and if you are having a hard time reaching out or you're having a hard time feeling like guilty for feeling bad or whatever, reach out anyway and say that, say, Mm -hmm. look, I know you must be going through a really hard time too. Does it bother you if I reach out because I really need a friend right now? And like, don't be afraid to Mm -hmm. ask because Mm -hmm. most people are going to be like, no, Mm -hmm. of course not. I want you. If you need me, I'm here. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think we forget that, that those people are in our lives because they are there to help us and to guide us through things. And I feel like with Jerry, I have felt that a few times where I'm like, God, you know, cause I know some of the struggles he's had and I've just felt like I need to not do, but then I know that when Jerry knows he's helped me, he feels better. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it, it helps him mm-hmm. because that's his personality. So I just would encourage people that are either if it's with therapy or even just your friends to just reach and, out and help is not a weakness. Help is human. Right. And asking for help and, is you know, not a weakness. It's so hard. I struggle with I know. It's hard for us to ask for help. It's included, you Horrible. know. Yeah. Um, but the more I do it, the more. It's like sometimes we just need our community. Yeah. And this has been a great opportunity for me to be like, you know what? Maybe sometimes I, I can't solve it on my own. I need like an outside voice or I need a... Uh, therapy or I need right. my family. Like I cried making eggs the other day in front of my mom. I was like making, she's like, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm like, Hey mom. I'm just like, <laughs> making sure I'm like, oh, I'm a mess. And I just like <laughs> cried in front of her yeah. and I allowed that experience and kind of like what you were saying, Carla, then she felt needed of use. Like I of can like, help oh, you. I can help you because my mom is a big caretaker too. But yeah. like, I think it's that same thing of like a lot of our caretakers in this world, like are used to helping others. And we just have to make sure we're helping them as well. I had a fucking crazy experience the other night. What? I was here at the house by myself. 
and I was watching, I can't remember, I, I don't remember what I was watching on television. Or you were watching. That would be funny based on what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> but I only do that on my phone in my bedroom. But um, <laughs> I was watching television and I was thinking about my mom. Mm. And oh, sorry, I didn't mean to make it up. No, 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 no. Okay. No, sorry. I don't. No, she would be the first person to laugh. But um, I, you know, Ryan always jokes with me and Just says, uh-huh. he says, uh, your mom, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I'm always like, my mom's dead. And then we both laugh because uh-huh. we know that she'd be the first person to be uh-huh. like, that's hilarious. Um, anyway, don't apologize. Um, I know I said sorry again. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that I said I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said porn about <laughs> your mom. Okay. Sorry, keep going. Sorry, it's I interrupted. fine. Sorry, I interrupted. My mom loves porn. Um, <laughs> no, she did. My mom did not like porn. Anyway. Was she watching the right type of porn? <laughs> You know, I don't seen, know. It was very limited. Has, did she, has she seen like the foreplay with like? Okay. <laughs> anyway, there's certain things I gentle kissing. Right. The things the, that I enjoy. The thing that I share with my mom. I did watch Caligula with my mom. That was fucking hilarious. But you're there's Ryan a different said, podcast for that. So Ryan, uh, this isn't about Ryan. So I'm watching the show, and I'm thinking about my mom, and I was getting really sad because I was like. If she were here right now, how would she be dealing with this? What would she be thinking about all of this? And then I went to this place where a lot of people do who were caretakers for their parents. Mm. Thank God I've had therapy. But you go to this place of like, I wasn't there enough. I didn't mm. um, I didn't give them enough attention. Mm. I wasn't there enough for them. I went blah, 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 blah. And something inside of me, and I don't, I, I would like, I think it's her. I don't mm. know. So somebody on the TV said, I wanted to be there for you. And this whole thing in my mind happened of like knowing that my mom was hated being dependent on me Mm. to caretake. Not that she hated it, but she would have preferred to not be. And that if there was anything she could do to help me or make my life, it helped her Mm. because then she felt of service of mm-hmm. you. And I just had this whole mm. kind of thing where I was like, I, I beat myself up and then I forgave myself. And then I heard this voice in my head of like, no, that's who your mom was to everybody. She wanted to show up. She wanted to be the person that you went to. She, she wasn't the person that always came to me with her problems. Mm-hmm. She was the person that wanted to fix it. She wanted to kiss the boo-boo. She wanted mm-hmm. to, you know. So I just, it was just, it's wow. funny that you just said that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're standing there in the kitchen with your mom. And I'm sure in that moment, your mom felt like I can. Oh, yeah. I'm here for my daughter right now. And that's as simple as it needs to be. And I think that, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I think that this time has been really challenging for the caretakers and mm-hmm. people that put their worth in helping others. Like yeah. myself included, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love helping. Well, I have a passion for working with students with special needs and right away when it's like, I can't work, I can't, you know, I, and I you must know what they're going through. Their whole help. schedules are thrown oh, yeah. off. It's a really hard time for some of these guys. Yeah. And that if I've put like, oh my, you know, everything into helping this population, if that's removed, Am I worthy enough? Mm-hmm. What is your value? What is and your... Like, I had to like... Re- I went through some freaking days of depression of like, am I still worthy? And so I think that, that it's hard for 
you know, like my mom too, like who's an amazing caretaker and she's like a little saint. Yeah. She, you know, takes care of her grandchildren. Mm -hmm. She also sings, um, to people on in hospice. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. So she, she's in this choir that goes and sings to people that are transitioning. Uh Uh-huh. So like oh she God. can't go into nursing wow. homes. She can't go into you know right to sing to do her things that give her joy. She can't couldn't visit her grandchildren. Right. So it's like yeah, we feel like helpless. Sometimes. And the things that you know yeah. are making other people's transitions or journeys a little bit easier because you're doing them and you can't do them right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it really tricky time to navigate. Is. And so. I think like now that things are starting to slowly open up, it's like we can like feel a little more connected and like feel our purpose more. Yeah. But it's it's hard to feel like you have a purpose, especially you know when it's like you like taking care of others. Yeah. You know, so it's, ooh, interesting. I agree, but I think that um, you and I are both similar in that no matter what, we're going to continue to be a part of the conversation and to keep contributing the best way that we can. And one thing that I've been doing is just, um, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I know people are looking for like, how do I feel better? How do I Mm. feel like I'm doing something? Every time I see something that to me is egregious online or on social media or whatever, I just go to a cause. It's so easy on Facebook to just donate. Mm. And I just donate five bucks. I've just been doing that. Every time I feel like, oh God, I can't believe this person just said that. I go to the ACLU and I give them $5 or I go to, yeah. I, I've gone, I've did border voices, Alocha mm-hmm. Lotto, like any, any organization that I'm like, and you know, it's just, it's still mm-hmm. knowing that we can still do something, you, you know, we're not, we're stuck in some yeah. ways, but we can still do something. And oh, I yeah. feel like I have to have that right now. Cause if mm-hmm. I don't do that, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, we can get our create, we can get creative with how we're, yeah, it's just, it's up. something. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not the world, but it's something. And it just kind of like eases a little bit of the tension mm-hmm. of like, okay, I'm just, I'm trying to help a little bit. That's, guess, that's really nice. Know. Sometimes every time like I'm in a depression or whatever, like the, the advice I've been given is like, start giving to others. Like, yep. get back. It's like instantly a thing of like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. getting out of my way a little bit and like realizing there's a bit, you know, that is a good Totally. And there's still a lot, you guys too, I know like online I've seen, there's still a lot of organizations that need volunteer people. Like you have options. Also, I've said, I said this before and I'll say it again. If you don't want to do any of that because you're crushed under the weight of all of this, then don't. That's fine too. You don't have to. These are just ideas to kind Mm -hmm. of maybe like help the mental anguish Mm -hmm. that some people are going through. But if you can't and you don't have the energy and you don't have don't it's this mm. isn't the time to mm. like try and throw yourself into something and then not yeah. be able to show We're up either. doing the best we yeah. can we are totally on that note so we recommend the book yes. so yes i we recommend highly recommend it. the book we think you guys should check it out i thank you for coming and have a nice day thank you sam Thanks for being for here for having me i loved it this was awesome this was great this was the and, perfect book for us and you're gonna attach a, a link for our way to pump i'm gonna pump my own oh podcast. yes please tell I'm us. gonna pump it it's pump called it. knock off your shit knock off your shit and it's very good it's a practical guide to spirituality and self-help and i do it with a our therapist that we've talked to, it felt like he was here yeah. the whole time. Hi, Jerry. 
Oh, yeah. tickle, tickle your balls real quick. Um, <laughs> he would love that. But yeah, it's really fun. He Jerry gives great advice, and I'm really there just to make fart jokes and like you know, yeah, like totally. bad puns. That's but right. he gives a really good like, yeah, <laughs> good tools and good. No, good, it is. It's good a good just kind. It's good to listen to if you're you know. I listen to the one that you. Well, I listen to them all, but I listen to the one that you guys talked about depression. It it's great. I mean, I think people just. If you just want some resources and maybe you're afraid to reach out or whatever, it's 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 easy to just listen to it. So thanks, Carla. And I love your podcast. And thank you for having me in your home. So you guys can find us on Spotify, iTunes, on the website. And you can also find Sam's uh, podcast on those outlets. But I will link everything in our show notes this week. Just Spotify on this chair. Bye. Hi, Land Your Man listeners. It's me, Carla, with one last hello and goodbye. I wanted to thank you all so much for joining me on this journey. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned how to make a podcast. I've learned so much about dating and relationships and what I want and what I don't want. So I owe everyone a debt of gratitude. I hope that you all are taking very good care of yourselves in this time. And I hope that you will continue to follow me because I am planning a new podcast and details will be released in the coming weeks. Otherwise, stay safe and bye.